Garrett. Welcome to another edition of The Last Negroes at Harvard. There were 18 of us in the Harvard College class of 1963. We were born in the 1940s and are now 80 years old. We entered Harvard as Negroes, but graduated as Blacks and African Americans. Our guests are authors Macklin Smith and Orko Joshi. The authors discovered their mutual love of rap music at the University of Michigan, where Macklin Smith taught a popular course in rap poetry, and Arco Joshi was a student. The book is titled Rhymes in the Flow, How Rappers Flip the Beat. I'm joined by 12 of my Harvard classmates. So let's start with uh, Doug. Okay. Uh, hello, everyone. I, I'm going to do something a little bit unusual today. Uh, I, I want to just take a couple of brief minutes uh, for us to kind of as a group to thank Kent for all the hard work and efforts that he has put into this LNAH uh, 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 meeting every week. Uh, it's been going on now for what, well over a year. And uh, I just I can't even imagine how much time and effort he has devoted to reading books and uh, searching out all kinds of uh, people and places and materials, you know, and then uh, talking to people and actually uh, convincing them to to come talk to us. So I, I, I want to sort of officially as a group to to kind of uh, orchestrate a kind of a group thank you uh, to Kent. And I'd like to, to do this in two short parts. Uh, first of all, I want to ask everyone to if, if we can possibly shed our usual uh, Harvard kind of intellectual demeanor for this, because we really want to express our, our feelings towards Kate. So the first step here is I want each of us to, uh, uh, to, to, to raise the uh, invisible champagne glass that we all have in our hand. <laughs> Hold this up in the ear. And then the second part um, is that um, at, at the count of three, uh, I'm going to ask all of us to shout as loud as we can, cheers to you, Kent. <laughs> so keeping our champagne glass up in the air, uh, I'm gonna count to three. So ready? <laughs> One, two, three. Cheers, Cheers to, to you. you. Great. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Here, here. Plus, uh, thanks for you guys gave me a briefcase, which I really love. Which ah. has my initials on it. I've, ah. I've, had, I've had one for years that I got off of eBay that has the initials of somebody CHG. <laughs> well, I never found out who he was, but I known, so thank you very much. And uh, Macklin and Arco were, were normally more professional than this, but thank you. <laughs> so why don't we Great. go around the room real fast, and uh, and we'll get it done, and, and we'll end up with you guys. So, uh, Doug. Oh, well, I'm Doug Shapiro. Uh, my wife and I are living in Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, Kentucky. Uh, I'm a uh, class of uh, 63 at Harvard, like uh, many of the rest of us. Uh, I've spent uh, much of my career 
uh, either uh, drawing upon my uh, medical background or uh, subsequent PhD work I did in animal behavioral ecology. Bill Collins, Harvard 63, living in Aiken, South Carolina. <coughs> Came here a little over 30 years ago to work at the Savannah River site on nuclear waste cleanup. And I have a background in nuclear power stuff with the Navy and so on. Okay. Three kids living elsewhere. Yeah, hi, Pete DeLisavoy. I'm a book editor and writer. I live up in uh, northern New Hampshire. <clears throat> and uh, back in the day, the great jazz players, I don't have to start naming them, uh, including the singers and scat singers, expressed uh, really all of uh, all I needed to know about this country and <clears throat> life itself as far as music can do that, which is pretty far. So, and I've never graduated from uh, the 50s and 60s. They've always done everything for me in terms of music. So today I'm looking forward to getting my mind expanded a little bit. Okay, great. Peter Grilly. Hi, everybody. <clears throat> Peter Grilly. I'm originally class of 63, but graduated in 65. I live in the town of Harvard, not the school, but the town of Harvard, Massachusetts. Um, I grew up in Japan and devoted most of my life to um, Japan studies and U.S.-Japan cultural exchange. Oh, hi. Yeah, John Woodford. I'm here uh, in Ann Arbor, Michigan, usually where I'm writing and editing for a number of years, and I don't need to extol the, the virtues of Ann Arbor because Matt's right here in the same place, so we won't brag about our town. Okay. <laughs> Jerry. Jerry Secundi. I'm living in Pasadena, California, uh, one of the 18 from the class of 63. Uh, did the Peace Corps, an environmental lawyer for, I've worked for the state, the feds, private industry, and yesterday, Miracle upon miracle, my wife and I celebrated our 48th wedding anniversary, and she said right. the miracle. So, hey, <laughs> great. That's Congratulations. Alden. Uh, Alden Briscoe grew up in northwestern Connecticut, lived various places across the country, and now just south of San Francisco. And uh, my wife and I have a, a company which consults with nonprofits and fundraising. Okay, Nick. Nick Bancroft, outside of Boston, classmate of these guys. Uh, <clears throat> And uh, went to Harvard Business School, then a couple of years in India. So I have to just ask, Arco, <clears throat> I don't know how to pronounce your first name, Arco, perhaps yeah. we'll do it. But with Joshi, do you have roots in Bombay, Mumbai? Yeah, I do. I do indeed. Oh, wow. Great. Loved it. Two years in the Peace Corps in Maharashtra. <clears throat> do you know any Marathi? Yeah, a little bit. Not, uh, not as well as I would like to speak. The grammar is pretty challenging. Excellent. <laughs> Okay, Ken. Uh, Ken Manister, I'm uh, in Los Altos, California. Um, unfortunately, I can't stay on the call very long today, but I, I definitely wanted to be here for uh, our expression of appreciation to Kent for all he does for us. Uh, I'm a retired law professor at, university, at Santa Clara University, um, and these references to Ann Arbor propel me to uh, tout one of my daughter's greatest accomplishments, uh, she worked at Zingerman's uh, for a year 
And there is a sandwich which she invented, which is named after her. So if you go to Zingerman, uh, Jenny's Fix number 22 uh, is, is the sandwich to go for. She won't eat it because she doesn't. She's a vegetarian. But uh, for you Ann Arbor fans, uh, try, try Jenny's Fix. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Ronnie. Uh, Ron Blau, class of 63, sometime roommate of John Woodford, uh, spent most of my life in TV and video, still doing some video work. And one thing I wanted to know is uh, if I start a podcast, are you going to you know, replace this whole thing for me? <laughs> we will, we will. Yeah. Maybe we'll do it anyway. Yeah. <laughs> I and Hi. Uh, I'm Ann Huberman. I, I, I'm a, a retired academic librarian, and I'm now a climate activist in Peterborough, New Hampshire. And we're, we're working towards 100% renewable energy in Peterborough. Uh, Mason Morfitt from Freeport, Maine. Uh, after a really benign early part of the month, I finally today put on my line jeans. So uh, winter is here. Uh, I've been to Vietnam a couple of times, once when people were shooting at each other and subsequently when they weren't, and it's a lot more fun uh, second <laughs> time around. Uh, okay. People say that at my age, uh, 82, you ought to do the crossword puzzle to keep your mind alive, but I think these weekly broadcasts <laughs> have done a lot more toward that end than doing the crossword. So, uh, yes, thank yes. you, Ken. Okay, great. Marcy, Marcy. Um, I'm living and working in New York City, where I run a public policy and act activist group that has advocated wiser, fairer use of public resources. Okay. David Othmer. David Othmer. Maureen and I live in, in uh, Philadelphia. We've been here coming up on 40 years, not quite as long as Jerry and Don have been married, but... Uh, but it's still a long time. Terry and I have known each other since 1956. Uh, we roomed together at at, uh, at Harvard. At uh, yes, at Harvard. Uh, I, I spent most of my life in public television, WNET in New York, and WHYY here in Philadelphia. And I grew up in Guatemala, Puerto Rico, Brazil, Colombia, and Venezuela. Okay, George. George Jones. Class of 63, I'm also here in Ann Arbor, and that's all I'm going to say. <laughs> Hampton Howell, 63. Unlike David Othmer, I haven't grown up yet because <laughs> I'm a bit ADHD. Uh, uh, I also lived in Puerto Rico and, and, and Brazil. I grew up in the Northeast. I'm uh, here in uh, Nashville, Tennessee. I'm incompetent at retiring. I'm a clinical psychologist. I'm best known maybe for, for being Doug Shapiro's roommate for a year. And uh, th this podcast and doing cold water, water swimming has, has been the, the outstanding thing of my last five years. <laughs> and I've uh, really appreciated the chance to uh, grow with this. Okay, great. Susan. Well, I'm Susan Swanton, class of 63, and I have a, a cold thanks to my grandson. Uh, and I'm in Rochester, New York. And, and I went into library field, too, because it was a great field for liberal arts majors that didn't want to specialize. But I was a public librarian 
and now I'm the, the new chair for the Rush Democratic Committee in the reddest town in Monroe County. And guess what? We got four Dems on the town board. Great, 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 great. Okay, well, Macklin and Arco, welcome. Thank you so much for coming on and uh, tell us about your book and tell us about rap. Um, I have been, I have been um, in the English department here and, and I, I was kind of like for quite a long time um, interested in four beat poetry uh, because I work in medieval studies primarily or did and uh, before retirement and worked a lot on Piers Plowman, which is a, which is a very messy, long poem, uh, contemporary with Chaucer, but unlike Chaucer who follows the French accentual syllabic pattern and has end rhymes, uh, the literate long line poets did not rhyme. Uh, they used alliteration and uh, the, the uh, syllable count in the long line is uh, varies all over the place from, you know, seven or eight up to uh, 20 some. And, and so it's a very unruly form. Uh, there's a lot of a lot of poetry in that uh, in that long line. But it once once Chaucer came on the scene, the uh, he kind of he kind of Chaucer won won the culture culture wars, you might say. And uh, so rhyming uh, rhyming uh, poetry with uh, with uh, strict syllable counts and along the French model. Uh, took over English poetry, pretty much, and uh, the the uh, four beat stuff uh, was preserved mostly in uh, jingles and uh, and so on, and reemerged with blues uh, and and now rap. So so it's a kind of it, it's, it all sort of goes underground for for a long time, uh, and it's basically folk poetry, and then comes comes back. So that's basically. Uh, you know, so I basically studied four beat poetry in, in, in the Middle Ages and then realized, oh, well, rap, you know, rap is basically the same thing, it's, except that it's not. <laughs> it's it's rapping to the to, to music, to, to a musical beat. And there's no evidence that the long line poets did anything like this. So um, I just got interested in rap as a kind of a late, late expression of um, of this long line verse and uh, started listening to it. And, and listened to more and more and more and really liked it and started teaching po teaching courses in uh, four beat poetry which featured rap and uh, and that's uh, and that's basically what I've been doing it's sort of an evolution of interest and I met Arco uh, a few years ago quite a few years ago <laughs> and, uh, anyway I have to say he came into my office and he had a copy of King Lear which he left on the on the desk when he went to the bathroom and I opened it up and and realized that he'd been scanning all the lines, especially Lear's speeches, and I, and I thought, okay, that's that's great. This is a this is an unusual student who really cares about rhythm. So we ended up talking about poetic rhythm. And just started, actually, ended up deciding to work together to write a book about rap, or actually to yeah to study it and maybe write a book about rap. So that's what we've been doing. So uh, uh, it's been really fun working with Arco, and uh, I couldn't have done it without him. He has he has he has skills I don't have. To put it mildly, he can do statistics. He's uh, he's smarter than I am in lots of ways, and uh, and uh, and I'm and I'm smarter smarter than him in lots of ways. So it's just been really really fun collaborating on this with him, and uh, that's all I got to say. Uh, we saw in the book about creating like a framework for which one can understand rap 
and build a foundation all the way from the beginning of the way to understand and comprehend a musical beat into the way that flow patterns and rhymes uh, start to populate the line and color that syllabic flow that Macklin earlier was referred to. And then we sort of transition into larger structures and other elements of rap and try to understand those through the lenses that make rap different. So we get through modes and genres and ultimately resolve them. Uh, our final two chapters that have to do with style. Uh, the last chapter about style tells us things that rapper, rap students tend to be very interested in. Regional differences, uh, perhaps whether old school and new school really did have distinctions, uh, what the role of gender was in uh, its influence on flow and uh, the way a rapper might represent themselves through that vehicle of flow. Uh, so all in all, it attempts to be kind of a comprehensive foundational work for a theory of rap that helps you understand it in the, this context of rhyme and flow at a very basic level. Uh, we built a metrical model to help us kind of understand these and compare across lines. So uh, we first created a kind of means by which we could create statistics that were replicatable and will be able to be analyzed by further students down the road. So that's the uh, kind of thrust of the book. And I'm not sure if Macklin wants to add anything there. We, we do spend a fair amount of time uh, talking about individual rap artists and and, and how, what they do stylistically and um, and just the poetics of rap. Um, we got interested in this in part because there was just nothing on this, pretty much almost nothing on, on style. Uh, almost all the studies of, of rap music were in cultural studies and a lot of them were really good, but none of them really addressed these these basic issues of the poetics, you know, how, how, the, how the line is structured, what the rules are, rules, I mean that in quotation, uh, there's not like a book of rules, but just the uh, the habits and, and requirements of this of this uh, of this form. And uh, so um, we were really working from almost almost an, in a vacuum. Um, there's one other one other scholar um, who was who had done some work, but his his methodology is very different than ours. So anyway, it's been really fun. It was like almost working in a pioneer pioneer way on this genre it's kind of amazing because rap is so, so so quintessentially rhythmical and <laughs> and yet people were more, more scholars scholars not not the rappers but scholars who had been uh, almost ex until we got a lot started working on this we we're almost exclusively interested in cultural studies and not not the, not the poetics so anyway it's been really fun i mean has it has it been disparaged a little bit though rap i mean in in terms of uh the general scholarly class or, or what? Yeah, without a question. <laughs> I mean, uh, so much of it is determining uh, whether rap has some kind of cultural thrust that is negative or positive, uh, what the impact of censorship is, uh, whether rap is thought to have incited violence. In fact, Mac and I were just talking about this earlier today. And then a lot of interesting cultural studies have looked to place claims on rap before rap was actually rap itself. Uh, which, as Macklin said, is quintessentially about rhyming and flowing with a beat. Uh, one of the early things that we hear a lot about is people calling things that are what we describe as in the book as semi-proto-rap, uh, like Woody Guthrie or Bob Dylan as rap itself, but uh, it lacks this kind of next complete step of being a sophisticated poetic form uh, akin to rap. Uh, like, you know, rap has a predecessor in Lost Poets, uh, who is something we also talk about and people are quite familiar with, but even that isn't truly rap yet. Uh, in the way that we understand and comprehend the definition today. 
So yes, it gets disparaged, and then second, uh, it gets revised as previously belonging to someone else. So, so it does face two kind of uh, cultural axes at once. And some rappers are, are faster and some are slower, but there's a, there's a fairly limited range of, of uh, beats per minute that they can work within. Uh, so that's, I mean, that's something to bear in mind. Um, we, uh, we have to think about the contours of the line. Uh, typically, typically because uh, it, is, it is a four beat kind of form, they're going to be four, usually, I mean, almost always there are four stresses in each line. There are two stresses that occur up to the uh, pause in the middle of the line, and then another two uh, in the last half of the line. Uh, there's usually one right near the end of the line to mark the end of the line. And, the, and there's usually a rhyme attached to the second and fourth rhyme, uh, sorry, second and fourth stress in the line. Sometimes there are more stresses, uh, but, they're, but they're usually in, in a rap line at least four. Um, and uh, so, but the rhyme, the length of the, of the rhyme, the length of the line can change. So just to, to give an example of this uh, from one song, there's a song by Outkast called Reset. And one of the rappers, uh, has has this line um, from TNA to DNA feelings turn to children from TNA to D DNA feelings turn to children uh, a few lines down uh, incarceration without rehabilitation really don't mean shit and you, I, I can't remember how many syllables are each are in each line but considerably more in the second one mm -hmm. um, and uh, and 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 the, the the second half of the line tends to be more stable and more uh, so really don't mean shit it's fairly short uh in, compared to the uh first half of the line which we call the averse averse beavers um so the in the in the averse there's a lot more variation a lot more uh, potentially a lot more syllables and uh so again from tna to dna versus incarceration without rehabilitation so mm -hmm. considerably more syllables in that second one uh it's much messier it sounds it doesn't sound pretty the first one sounds pretty First one you can find in in in, uh, in a lot of fourteenth uh, century four beat poetry that exact same rhythm that's in that line it's it's very pretty it's a very pretty line second line is relatively cacophonous and and there are you know actually seven syllables between the between the first and second beat incarceration without rehabilitation you know really really extremely uh, uh, kind of long that that dip between the two the two cells so so that's the kind of thing that we we used to, we, we we would scan these lines uh um before we had vo voice competent voice recognition we just had to do this by we had to listen to it right line by line and write write the scansions down and then code them <laughs> pretty tedious work and and uh you know we should have waited five years <laughs> but, but, but anyway it was fun it was fun it was slow work so so we really got to know these these lines very well and uh, so we would we would we would scan them all and then and then code them uh, in very very simple simple codes. So mm -hmm. a syllable is either rhymed or unrhymed. It's either stressed or or not stressed, etc. So you know just a few variables mm -hmm. that are that are possible for, for each syllable. Mm -hmm. um, uh, Nick, <laughs> uh, I I'd like to ask the general question of uh, has this spread <clears throat> around the world uniformly? like jazz has it been picked up i assume it's been picked up by younger groups but i don't know and uh, uh um adjunct question 
is do I remember correctly a uh, Bollywood movie that was extremely successful? A uh, boy is trying to find himself, and uh, his parents are disowning him and saying, "Get a job." And then he discovers rap, and he becomes a a, a great uh, worldwide star. Do you? Yeah, Gully Boy. It's a great movie. What, what was it uh, called? The the movie is called Gully Boy. Which Gully is Boy. Being, uh, it's like, yeah, it's an alley. Exactly. Yeah, so very, very popular movie. I mean, rap has fundamentally been uh, kind of the music of counter-resistance. You even see it coming up in China right now, uh, whereas crackdowns had picked up. Even in Hong Kong, you see rap getting increasingly popular as a vehicle uh, yeah. of expression. It's uh, we see rap in Japanese. We comment on this in the book, yeah. and we see rap in um, in Haiti, uh, in in various languages where uh, suddenly the rap changes in character. Uh, rhyme becomes more important in some cases, whereas stress becomes more important in others. Uh, yeah. Tonal languages adapt obviously differently to rap, being that it's so fundamentally flow and stress and percussive based. Uh, but there's we've seen rap around the world. Uh, and actually, in Vietnam, where I am right now, you you hear rap a lot uh, as you walk down the street. Uh, mm. It's it's pretty popular. Uh, probably a bit different than jazz in the form, the form of its adoption, uh, right? But for for various reasons, of course. Uh, but one of which is that the messaging is different, and and the the people who tend to speak the messaging sometimes isn't as broad. Uh, but it is it is global without a question. I mean, Wu Tang Clan tours all over, including in Amsterdam and. Uh, everywhere else. So, what Great. about the, what about the the rappers who sort of who sort of free associate or or freestyling? I mean, are they bound by structure or how do, how does that work? The, the answer is yes. Uh, the uh, uh, I don't know how to say this except that if you if you um, I mean I've never been I I tried to learn how to rap and rap Arco is actually fairly good at it, but I, I, I really can't do it. I, I just, I can't, I, I can't take myself seriously when I do it. So, so I kind of mess up. It's, it's really, it's really hard to do. You got to keep, you got to keep the, uh, the rhythm and the template in your head and you've got to, you got to be able to think this way. So you've got to be able to, uh, especially if you're doing freestyle and, and improvising as you go, you know, you, you can rap about anything. Somebody, somebody could tell, I mean, we did this once at a, um, at a party, Ar Arco and I, and we just, somebody said, well, rap about X and, you know, you can do it. You just have to come up with these, with these words, uh, uh, you know, at the last minute and, and, and make them rhyme. And so a good, a good freestyler can just do this. Um, and Arco, Arco actually can do this. He's, he's, he would probably deny he's good, but it, it's all relative. <laughs> Better than I am. <laughs> and so you, and so you, what you do is you, uh, you know, what these rappers have is a kind of big, big, uh, huge memories and 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 awareness of rhymes, and and some of them actually read the dictionary and look at, looking for good rhymes and and uh, and plan to use them and try to use them and and one of the one of the goals is not to rhyme the same way as somebody else has so you're trying to be original as well as competent uh so it's pretty hard to do um and uh but it's possible obviously because people are doing it and uh and it is global uh yeah so it's kind of an amazing thing i just like to yeah I just like to follow up a, a little bit on Gully Boy, and yeah. if I remember, a I'd recommend it. It's to, it's a great movie, um, and um, but in it wasn't there a contest 
It ultimately came to a contest uh, between the the top rapper and then the upcoming Gully Boy, and uh, there were there was a lot of stuff at stake, both familial and uh, tribal and uh, cultural, societal, everything. It was one of those buildups, and then of course the good guy wins. But oh, I'm sorry, I shouldn't say that. <laughs> oh, <it's better. laughs> Gully Boy. It, it's interesting you said that because Mac and I were literally just talking about this prior is uh, the combative form of rap, which yeah. which comes up quite a bit. Um, and also it's virtues in freestyle. There's a different uh, different piece in the movie Eight Mile where you have Eminem, Rabbit, battling wow. a local uh, rapper. And he it's a diss, right? It's, it's a gym, yeah. you criticize the other person and not only do it uh, creatively and differently, but also do it in a way that may sometimes use their own rhymes uh, back at them as weapons. Yes. Um, this is a long. This has a long history, actually. This kind of this kind of battling rap and is represented in you know Jay Z Nas's feud, and this is a big subject, right? Uh, <clears throat> Tupac Biggie, and actually Macklin would love to speak this, I'm sure, about the traditional flighting, which is <laughs> which is very much in uh, <laughs> in his uh, area of study. Yeah, 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 the the late the medieval um, form called flighting, where you, the idea is you get two poets, put them in the same word room, and they make them each perform, uh, you know, impromptu, and and it was um, it was court entertainment, uh, in, in in especially in Scotland, but a little bit too in England, uh, in in the uh, 14th and 15th centuries, um, and and this is true in a lot of cultures, uh, poetry contests. Uh, I mean, the poetry contest is 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 you can find it all over the world. Uh, poet, poets, uh, poets, uh, not just being poets, but uh, um, getting in the same room and seeing who's better. Um, mm. It's 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 it's, uh, it's it's everywhere. If you if you look into it, I was just saying that they had the like it was like the Super Bowl of poets clashing on TV in India, and all the houses that had TVs, the people were coming in to look because the whole country was watching. Maybe poets from four or five different linguistic groups meeting in this Super Bowl uh, poetic contest. And uh, you know, everyone in the family was listening to this thing. It was really an amazing, amazing kind of a thing. And of course, Rap Brown is called Rap Brown because he would be down there where he grew up and he could out rap, usually in uh, putting his opponents down in artful ways through the dozens and other things. That's why he became Rap Brown. He was the champion at it. Hmm. Well, who, who are some of the people you focus on in the book, uh, rappers in, in your book? Well, we cover a pretty wide range of them. Uh, we cover everyone from Missy Elliott, Queen Latifah. Uh, we look at Jay-Z uh, quite a bit, actually. <laughs> Eminem, we get all the way up to Kendrick Lamar, Nas. Uh, basically the usual suspects and you can consider with some others, Andres 3000 gets to be a lot of attention. Uh, some new rappers that we talk about include Macklemore, Mac Miller, uh, Rakim also, who's older, of course, older as well, Curtis Blow, Biggie, of course, gets a, gets a lot of airtime. Uh, we show Lil Wayne. I mean, you can kind of name anyone in the gamut. Uh, and we think that we get a representation of most of the leading and uh, important rappers. Of course, there's people we missed. Uh, that's just the nature of a large study. Uh, but uh, and also, of course, there's a time constraint. But those are some of the key rappers that, that we touch upon. Just to say, at the beginning, we decided we were not going to try to. Um, we were only going to focus on 
really successful rappers. We did not want to do a kind of, uh, we didn't, didn't want to create a database based sort of taking lines from, from, from the, everybody who was rapping, but rather from people who were, who had been successful at it and were, were, were well, were well known. So, so we began with Rapper's Delight and we ended with Ken, Kendrick, Kendrick Lamar. Um, and there's a lot of stuff we could have done since then, but you know, that was sort of the end of our, end of our study, um, before we started writing it up. And so we, yeah, so we focused, we focused, um, we did exclude a lot of a lot of a lot of rappers because they weren't they weren't famous enough. They were, so we our idea was to take people who would who were, were really quite popular, and uh, and and uh, yeah. So Nas, Biggie, Tupac, you know, etc. People like that. Would, yeah. Within that, I'd also add that we wanted to account for representation across various areas. So. Uh, like Snoop Dogg is in there, of course. You've got Tupac in there to represent the West. Uh, you've got rappers from the East as well as rappers from the Midwest who are represented. Uh, Atmosphere, for instance. You also have uh, Dirty South rappers. So we looked for other categories with which we could identify trends and also tried to build in representation uh, there as well so we could make sure that we could make claims. Uh, gender was another one such of this kind of uh, category. Yeah, we made sure to have... have um... I mean, there are, as you may have noticed, quite a few more male than female rappers. Um, but there's some really good female rappers, so we might make sure to, to kind of have as many of them in, in our database as, as well, and to try to discuss them as well. So, yeah. Well, in terms of the in terms of the culture, so how does it fit in culturally, and is, is it sort of become the language of youth, or is it accessible to? 80 year olds like us or <laughs> what do you think? Ooh. Well, uh. <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot of rap. <laughs> Stuff with that. There's a lot of rap with a lot of range. Uh, it, it has also evolved uh, into many different forms and to be able to satisfy many different tastes. So I think that rap, I personally think rap is accessible to anyone who is willing to listen. <laughs> personally. Uh, I mean, Macklin, you may have a better picture on the other side of that. No, not really. I mean, I think, I think, uh, I think for some years, if, if, you, if, you, if people are just not, not, not used to it, it takes a little while to, to, to get used to it, to, to be able to hear it well and, and to learn to like it. Um, and uh, so if you, if that's the case, you can go, you can go back to earlier models like, uh, you know, just listen to some Woody Guthrie talking blues. You'll get the sense of that. That's basically rapping. It's, the line is shorter. Talking blues, um, Woody Guthrie, um, Bob Dylan. You know, so that's that's kind of it. It's talking. It's talking rather than singing. And um, and 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 um, yeah. So it's uh, it. But I think you know. I think um, I think there's a I think there's an element of rap that is is sort of you know youth culture ish. Um, there is that, but then as these rappers get older and older, <laughs> they, they, some of them are, are not young anymore at all. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so, so, you know <laughs> so they're, they're still around and, uh, and, and, uh, not all of them are, who are aging are still producing a lot, but some are. So it's, uh, yeah. Well, if you, you know, the, the body and satirical elements in rap because some of the style i think is conducive to that so you have these people if you can understand what they're saying some of the wittiness 
of it is quite intriguing. I know I don't like a hell of a lot of it, but there's a lot of Snoop Dogg is enjoyable to listen to, or is um, you know the I think it's BG and the Chopper Boys and TI and others <laughs> I hear that they uh, you know they uh, you get into some of these rhymes and it's just some of it's just quite comical. And as I say, some of it is satirical, and it's a, it's a joy to hear someone who can do it. You you're you know you're just uh, you're both mystified and awestruck. The same way you say, "My God, how do they, they on the spot come up with some of these rhymes? Are just tremendous rhymes, just tremendous." So I'm not sure whether our guests would agree, but listening to them, I would argue that although it may not just be so, quote unquote spoken music people like chuck berry you might argue were also proponents of rap i'm thinking in particular for example of jojo gunn it was in ancient history 4000 bc back up in the jungle in a coconut tree yeah. swinging from a branch up under the sun was a meddlesome monkey named jojo gunn <laughs> <laughs> that's yeah. rap that sounds like rap to me was there any relationship uh, between the emergence of rap and Caribbean rhythms? Yeah, uh, actually, uh, <laughs> there's a there's a very strong relationship. So, so what do you have? What you have in? Uh, uh, yeah, th there's. Oh my gosh! So the the, the so-called DJs in in uh, Caribbean um, in reggae. DJs uh, uh, are they are they are playing records and they're talking over them and and basically that that's where it comes from I, I would say that's a direct uh, a direct line of influence mm -hmm. um, I'm not saying that's the only place it comes from but um, people were listening to that in New York uh, before you know, as as rap was coming up in New York. Uh, okay, so so that Jamaican DJing, uh, big youth people like that, and I, I don't know if you guys are all any any anybody familiar with this stuff, but it's 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 early early uh, early Jamaican um, music. So, hey Peter, Peter, yeah. Uh, <clears throat> Some of the comments sort of answered some of my questions, but I was just trying to wonder where it ultimately comes from. Uh, and uh, uh, is it is it uh, if if it if it existed in in medieval times in some way? It, it uh, I don't think that people were studying Chaucer to come up with it. So. It, it must come out of uh, some deep, uh, deep grammar or deep structure. And uh, uh, so is it, is it, is rap like a brand new thing? Uh, you guys are talking about it coming from Chuck Ber uh, Berry or uh, uh, Bob Dylan, but it must, it must go back further than that. And is it more poetry or is it more music? And is it like a totally new genre that uh that but it can be traced back uh the way we can trace jazz back for instance there's a lot there <laughs> the first thing is uh 
we do trace some very early traditions uh, that are described in the 16-1700s in the United States, outside the United States rather, in Barbados and, and so on, about a religious practice called Kamina that seems to resemble some similar levels of chanted and spoken to a rhythm uh, music. But this is, this is, of course, something based on largely anecdotes from the historical record. Uh, something like Richard Ligon, who has documented it. And after that, I mean, there's a there's a question of whether there's an essentialist component to or why someone has used this vehicle to bust their rhyme, uh, right? So I mean, I can probably speak to this better, but it's emerged three times in three distinct moments in oral poetry. Uh, it emerges with a lot of cate- uh, characteristics of symmetry and principles of eurythmy that make it sound and have kind of a unifying device like either alliteration or rhyme that stabilize the line. Uh, whether that's an essentialist characteristic or not is something I think I'd leave to Macklin to answer. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, just to, just to expand a little bit there, in, in, in the whole of the, all we know about the history of English verse, uh, there's, um, there's all of old English poetry. Of course, all we, all we have of that is stuff that's written down. Uh, there's a little bit of description of how it was performed, but it's, it's minimal and within, within some of these uh, poems like Beowulf, you, you get a, you get poets coming on to, into the poem and, and there's a description, a little bit of description of how they're, how they're performing, but it doesn't really tell you too much. So, so the, um, so this was an oral, oral tradition, an oral, it's an oral formulaic style like Homer. Um, remember Homer was blind and, uh, so the uh, in the oral in the pre-writing stages of poetry, poets learn to compose poetry by relying on formulae. So in uh, oh just for, for example in in a in a Homeric ep, in a in an epic Homeric epic uh, if you want to say something to somebody else you say ton peta, and that's that then spoke to him or her ton peta is to him. Tang de maybe de peta is to her. So then spoke to her. It's a that's the first half of the line. Then to, to identify the speaker, you stick in the speaker's name with some some uh, uh, other syllables, that, an adjective to to qualify the speaker, so so that he or she will be rhythmically uh, appropriate to the line. So ton de maybe de peta athene. The, the gray-eyed Athena, and that's that's how this works. So every time the sun comes up in in the Iliad or the Odyssey, it's the same the same line is used every time somebody is speaking to somebody else. The same line is used, except the the name of the speaker changes, and uh, and so this, so it is highly formulaic, so that you can improvise it. Uh, okay, so most so so there's a lot of poetry in the world. Uh, and some of it has been studied by anthropologists, and and just, we just know this that is is uh, pre pre literary, um, and and uh, so if you look at how that works, um, I'm not saying rap is like that exactly, but it's there's this tradition of that rappers also use, which is to to have you know they just to have a lot of knowledge of rhyming, so they can they can they can rhyme uh, to to practice rhyming. Uh, to, I mean, to read the dictionary a lot, <laughs> uh, to uh, to think of how they how they can rhyme not just with one word but many word, words. So you have multi rhymes, uh, polysyllabic rhyming across two or three words sometimes, um, 
and this is a this is a skill. It takes a lot of practice to do this. And uh, um, yeah, it's um, I don't know. I'm, I think I'm going off on a tangent, but but it's it's yeah. I mean, the ability to, the ability to do this uh, it's 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 a performance. It takes a lot of practice to to do it yeah. in, in a performance. And uh, yeah, uh, Hamp and my yeah. Good. Uh, thanks. Um, one thing that, that interests me with with this is the cultural component and um, my, with with my own conditioning, my own antipathy to 50 or 60 percent of the uh, rap that I hear. Uh, and for, for, for me, a lot of times it's, it's like uh, nails on a blackboard or something. <laughs> and uh, 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 maybe that's part of its success uh that it's it's created that that independent world or saying or attacking the bourgeoisie or 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 the dominant culture or whatever uh, but i i i'm interested in that part of it that it did it, it, it and that's one of the reasons i wanted very much wanted to come today to to try to understand my own reaction and and what's going on with with all that to the extent that 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 uh, we can uh, uh, look at that, how much of of that is a criteria for success? Uh, sometimes you have to look more carefully to, to or listen more carefully to hear how they have elements of homage or romance in them. Uh, there's rap songs about independent struggle. There's rap songs about the condition of the hood. There's rap songs, really, as it's evolved, cover a wide variety of subjects. And actually, earlier rap which was quite successful, didn't exactly cover all those subjects so directly either. Um, there obviously exists a lot of gangster rap that does reference uh, the story of the self-made man in the context of a difficult life or tough circumstances in which they grew. Yes. That, that stuff, uh, it varies, right? Uh, but there's a lot of nuance in how it's expressed. So the question is, uh, can you see past that, right? So in the, in the <laughs> example of Melly Mel, uh, there's the there's broken glass everywhere and he's actually describing describing the hood uh with very very rich detail uh is there something specifically offensive in that i would put that question first uh and that's a widely successful song well one part of the offensiveness is is all the stuff about bitches and whores also <laughs> yeah. They don't have this. I, I will say, while the language is sometimes inflammatory, it does also have, it does change meanings and context within the context of rap itself. Uh, Lupe Fiasco makes a lot of comments about this in many, many of his songs, especially <laughs> more recently, where he tries to shift the meaning of various, let's call them invectives or <laughs> insults, uh, to have a much, much more rich kind of landscape of what the meaning is. Uh, Mac, then you probably have a lot more to say than considering you wrote this chunk. Well, I mean, no, I mean, I think it's, um, yeah, there's a, there's a, there is a kind of, uh, there is a, let's say, there is a, uh, uh, basically a cultural theme of, uh, male power, male dominance, including, including dominance over women that shows up. It's, uh, we don't like it. Arco, Arco doesn't like it. I don't like it. But it's there. Um, it it also uh, it also is uh, is addressed by by almost every women rapper who 
who talk back at it in, in really successful ways. And that's an interesting thing. So you'll get, you'll get this, uh, you know, this, basically it's called dissing, you're dissing, dissing, whatever you, you don't like. <laughs> and, uh, and there's a lot, of, there's a lot of blowback when this happens. I think, I think, I think uh, for the most part, um, that was much more common a couple of decades ago than it is now. It's sort of like, almost like, uh, don't do that. Uh, don't do that. You're going to lose your audience. We don't like that anymore. We don't do that anymore. Uh, but it's there, um, especially in the earlier earlier stuff. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, denigration of women. Uh, sure, mm -hmm. it is. Ronnie Blau. I was wondering, is there any relationship between the development of rap and the development of technology? And I'm asking that by reference to in Jamaica, I was listening to a podcast the other day, and they were saying that from the 1950s on, they were in competition to build the biggest speakers, and they would use speakers that were, you know, like military speakers, and they put together their own sound systems, and it was extremely competitive. On the same night, there'd be competition, and, there, you know, there was dancing, and um, so that really shaped the social scene which in turn shaped the music. And I was wondering if there's anything parallel to that with rap. Oh, without question. Uh, the whole context of sampling itself, uh, which really transforms the music itself, right? Uh, the ability to take a sample from something that everyone knows, take a classic, uh, cut it, chop it, make it a loop, uh, and then rap over that, turn that effectively into a beat rather than the main area of focus while rapping over it itself is an innovation uh, that comes from the ability to record at a much cheaper level, uh, uh, much cheaper prices, right? So being able to do that actually it, it catalyzes a lot of innovation in the genre. Uh, this, the next piece, of course, is the improvement in being able to tune music where there was a whole, uh, and your voices, there was a whole generation of auto-tune, which also creates uh, a, a blowback in the industry about autotune coming from Jay-Z himself leading with Death of Autotune as a song. That itself is another innovation. Then now more recently we've seen new soundscapes uh, emerge such as that of Trap, which is you know the ability to actually make sounds that instruments don't make today and completely change those and record them differently and refinish them, remaster them and turn them into their own music. And that has led to kind of an outgrowth of a net new genre uh, within a subgenre within rap, uh, which is trap hop, which is going through its own kind of uh, evolution today. It was much, much more primitive before uh, compared to where it is today. Do you have any recommendations for people in trap hop to, to listen to who are the, it, the best? Increasingly, actually, there's, there are some good ones in trap hop. I mean, you're seeing Earth Gang start to explore the area, JID. <laughs> Uh, you're, those are two really, really clever rappers, I would say, in, in today's day and age. But uh, they're starting to uh, blend rap with it elsewhere. I would also say, just I didn't mention this before, I should have, is um, we're seeing rap fit into other musics as well, which is obviously uh, enabling a, a new set of ways of contextualizing rap. You hear rap sometimes in a Taylor Swift song even. So rap really has gone mainstream and also is benefit from the technological innovations in those fields as well. So gentlemen, I have always thought, and I, I, I sort of gonna, gonna, going to make a statement, but, it, but it's really a question because I don't know whether or not what I'm about to say has come out in any of your studies. 
But I have always assumed, correctly or incorrectly, that at least to some extent, rap was an outgrowth of a Black oral tradition known as signifying. And for example, that that Chuck Berry song that I mentioned just a few minutes ago, Jojo Gunn, is actually based upon a, a poem of that genre called The Signifying Monkey. Oscar, Oscar Brown Jr. Yeah, the lyrics to which Chuck Berry could not have sung in 50 or 60 years ago, but based upon the way rap music is 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 recorded today, the lyrics to the signifying monkey could in fact be recorded today. But I so I wonder if there if any of if any of your studies that particular tradition was found at all to have any connection to modern day rap. Yeah, there was some scholarship that we even encountered that was before ours in David Foster Wallace's work uh, around understanding rap, where he directly talks about this tradition. Uh, he draws a he draws a pretty concrete link with uh, signifying and rap at the time of of his writing. In fact, we touch upon that as well. What what what? Tell us about. Are you guys going to do more books, or what's the future like? <laughs> uh, we don't want to do another book. It's yeah. a lot of work. It took it took us. Well, it was so much fun, but uh, it was a lot of work, and uh, I don't think we are going to. What do you think, Marco? It depends. I mean, if technology evolves to scan millions of lines uh, yeah. very easily, it could be a great way to augment, kind of do a follow-on piece of what we've done, or kind of promote other people's study of, of the field as well. I've got, a, I've got a long ways to go, you know, a lot of wood to chop. <laughs> you know, I'm going to add, you know, while we were at Harvard, um, Albert Lord, who uh, with Milman Perry studied the epic production in, in Serbo-Croatia, uh, Albert Lord taught the course in oral, you know, the oral epic. And I, I mean, I was lucky enough to take it. And he, you know, what they did is go over to Serbo-Croatia and record the Singers of Tales, that's the name of the book. You might all be interested in the great book and show what, what Mac was talking about with these the use of these formulas and the memory and putting them in rhythm. And they had a little, you know, little instrument to go along. So an instrument, maybe they had drumming way back, but it's, uh, you know, it's an international phenomenon all throughout human history. You had people singing stories, and making them up and also just remembering them and embellishing them. Well, listen, thank you so much for coming on. It's really been great. Yep. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank thanks you. for having us. It's been a pleasure. Okay. Hey, Ken, show us that briefcase one more time. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'll show you the briefcase. This is it. Wow. <laughs> ah, right. Oh. It has a handle. It has my Judy. Wow. Thank you so much. We will organize. That was Macklin Smith and Orko Joshi. Their book is titled Rhymes in the Flow, How Rappers Flip the Beat. And that's it for this episode of The Last Negroes at Harvard. I'm Kent Garrett. You can hear more episodes on our podcast, which you can find on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, or from wherever you get your podcast. Our podcast also stream on WIOFradio.org every Thursday morning at 9 a.m. Eastern Time. Plus, you can read all about us in the book, The Last Negroes at Harvard.